In the latest episode of Vamos Verde, we are going to talk to one of the most prolific goal scorers in Major League Soccer history, Austin FC striker Giassi Zardes. We also talked to some folks who have been bringing the soundtrack to Austin's nightlife for over 20 years and are now providing the soundtrack at Q2 Stadium, their official DJ collective, Peligrosa. That's the latest episode of Vamos Verde. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Welcome to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that changed their lives and give us a glimpse into their creative process. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and yes, we are taking a break from making new episodes until November 15th, but we are doing some reruns, and this week, in honor of our fall fund drive, which is going down here at KTX, the radio station where we make this podcast, well, we are going to rerun an episode we did with two of our favorite Austin artists. Sabrina Ellis and Andrew Cashin are the songwriting duo behind two of our favorite bands, A Giant Dog and Sweet Spirit. A Giant Dog just released their latest record, Toy, on Merge Records, and they are right now heading out on a West Coast tour. I'll definitely post the tour dates on the show notes page for this episode because, seriously, you want to go see this band. I sat down with Andrew and Sabrina in 2016, and we talked about riffs and unexpected influences in songwriting. So here they are, Andrew Cashin and Sabrina Ellis. Thinking about there's lots of songs, but like the one that I guess stuck with me is uh, Search and Destroy by Iggy Pop. I must keep walking cheetah with a hat full of napalm. Do you remember how old you were when you heard it for the first time? It's probably like 16. So when you heard Search and Destroy and you were 16, was that like your first experience of Iggy Pop or were you kind of... Yeah. I just, we used to play with this band all the time that was like really cool in my eyes. They're only like two years older than us. It doesn't take many years to make someone way cooler yeah. than you when you're a teenager. Yeah, we just like looked up to them a lot. Yeah. Even though they were degenerates, we just like, we thought they were cool. Doesn't that make them even cooler if yeah. they're degenerates? Yeah, it's like, especially yes. when you're like 15. Yeah. They were the ones that like kind of turned us on to. Just like Richard Hell. I was saying, let me out of here before I was even born. It's such a gamble when you get a face. It's fascinating to observe what the mirror does. But when I died for the wall, and I set a place. We were 15 years old. They were like, here's the cool sh-. Like, They did the big of, brother thing. Yeah. Where yeah. they were like, let me introduce you to yeah. what you need to know. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that was just one of the songs that like, really stuck out to like open me up open whatever go down the rabbit hole or whatever to find cooler music and kind of step out of a comfort zone and like just explore music in a deeper way do you remember what it was about like that song you know because it sounds like you had a lot of music coming at you and 
all of a sudden you hear this one song that's like, what? Like, yeah, just that opening riff. It's just that, like, there's no count. It just opens up with this, like, killer, crunchy guitar riff. I don't know. It's something about that riff. I still play it to this day for every sound check. It just, like, I don't know what it is, but it's just an awesome riff. So it's the riff more than anything yeah, else. Yeah, if you actually break it down, it's just a fun riff to play. It Like, it's very bouncy, but it, like, I don't know. It's hard to explain over a microphone without like showing you. It's just like right. well, you you actually are showing me the chord the, formations with your hands. Yeah, like it's a yeah. it's a. It's just like the physical act of like actually playing the riff is like it's kind of fun. So when you're writing for Sweet Spirit or you're writing for a giant dog, are is there a part of you that's always trying to like not rewrite that riff, but like capture whatever magic about that riff? Oh yeah. Hit you? Yeah, like that style of guitar playing just like bouncing from one chord to another, like right under each other, like A and D, but just going really quickly back and forth, capturing that like rawness and angriness in a riff. So do you think riffs have like emotional content? Yeah, totally. I guess I I guess I never really thought of it that way. But like so that riff is like there's a there's an anger underneath it all? Yeah. I mean, you can even play the same riff differently I and mean, it just like comes across completely differently. Pretty much all those songs on Raw Power are just downstrokes, just quick, like, you're just beating the guitar to death. Like, that's, I don't know, I just, it stuck with me, that, like, strikes a chord with me, not to be horribly punny. You can't help it, though, <laughs> I mean, come on. primarily write in riffs like do you think when you think of a song is that like the first place that you go yeah what about you Sabrina do you because you guys write together right so we we write together in a way that really works well for us because it's very rare that I write a riff um, when I think about songs I think about I can think about melodies um, although Andrew writes really good melodies, usually with his riffs. Um, oh. And then I end up putting in parts and writing the lyrics. And it works really well for us because he's really quick and productive and does come up with really unique combinations and patterns for his uh, songs and music. What were you going to say? I think just when you write, you write very sonically. Like, here's this, the song. Here's Right, it's usually... Here's the a lyrics, little package the, deal. Yeah. And it's just like, here's everything that comes with the song. And then it needs a riff written in yeah. by Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some like seasoning yeah. on top. Me, I'm just like, here's the riff, here's the melody. I have a different part that can maybe fit with it. 
Sometimes he got... throws down a line. Sometimes he's just like, like, he's like, I'm losing my mind. I'm like, all right, okay, that's the whole song. Yeah. And I'm just going to ride around. <laughs> it's usually a good <laughs> springboard for me. When did you guys find out that you could write songs like that? Was it Maybe 10 years ago. When he came to Austin when we were in our early 20s and we started kind of falling in and accidentally writing together, um, he had been listening to a lot of cool rock and roll and I had listened to mostly dad rock and dad rock being like classic the, rock the eagles no well I guess you're right yeah I guess I'm thinking of like the who we don't get pool again Pink Floyd Jimi Hendrix. You know you are heartbreaker. <laughs> yeah. I was obsessed with Jimi Hendrix. I had, a, I had a mixed CD that I'd made myself of classics, classic rock songs that I liked to listen to driving to and from school in my Camaro. It was a 70s Camaro. T-tops, and it made me more friends than I had. And... Um, and I was friends with Andrew, and then I guess in our early 20s, I'd been off to New York and done experimental theater. And then I, so I was pretty free and uninhibited and improvisational when I met him, and then not met him, but re-met. We started writing songs, but we didn't mean to start a band. He wanted to do graphic design, but we were going to all these shows all the time, um, downtown and seeing garage punk bands. And, and then we decided to kind of start a band, but... He had to kind of give me this full house, like, Bob Saget, like, moment, like, put his hand on my shoulder. He's like, you need to be more rock and roll. Like, <laughs> you can't sing so nice all the time, and you got to dance. And I, I hated dancing. I was so... You're so good at it. Thank you, but <laughs> it's just from habit now. Mm -hmm. But I never danced at practice, and then our first show, I did, because... You know, the Stooges, yeah. Iggy Pop, being exposed to that stuff. Just give you a jar of peanut butter and... Razor blade. Yeah. Let you go. <laughs> now I wanna be your dog. Andrew gave me an Iggy Pop and the Stooges CD when um, I must have been 21. Mm-hmm maybe 20 or 21. When he started visiting Austin a lot and we were writing songs together, before we started Giant Dog, he gave me the Iggy Pop and the Stooges album. That's all I, list that's all I could listen to for a couple weeks because it blew my mind. That and The Monks. Those were just the beginnings of me even having any ideas of being being able to turn the the idea of just the horrible rebelliousness um, and being um, un, like needlessly rebellious, just unable to function in structures like school and um, with authority and stuff. It turned those feelings into music for me and it blew my mind. Like it went it went from me having been to a lot of um, kind of teen punk rock shows in Houston 
to me, starting to understand why this developed um, in the 70s as, as a way of being. Yeah. Right. It was really important. Did, it, you, did you not understand it when you, like, went to those teen punk rock shows? Were you, like... All like, I wanted to do at those shows was slam my body around on other people's bodies and maybe get some alcohol out behind the Christian venue and... Wait a maybe second. See some, <laughs> maybe see some people take their shirts off. It was physical for you. You went to those punk rock shows and it was like physical, maybe a, maybe a little grown up thing happening. And then you mm-hmm. hear Iggy Pop and it's like, oh, that's what it is. That's like... He put words to the feelings and he... He was very physical too, and yeah. still is, um, and just the the way of his being, you know, he's he's kind of this strikingly ugly guy, and in a way that's oh, so alluring to me. I was I was very turned on by the music, and um, he's got a very sophisticated way about explaining something really trashy. Yeah, and ugly, and yeah, it made me understand that. It didn't matter what was really expected of me, um, that there could be a, a place and an outlet for uh, the real um, the real person that really felt rejected from society. and then I mean, the theatrics live. Yeah. When we first started writing, and I thought it was really cool, but she was super into David Bowie. Oh, yeah. What what era David Bowie? All of it? Uh, mostly 70s Bowie. I kind of, you know, at that time in my early 20s, I understand now his stuff from the 80s, but I really didn't understand it, and it kind of offended me um, because I didn't get how tongue-in-cheek it was. But his stuff from the 70s, I really... I was thinking about it on my way here. I was like, of course Bowie would be my this song. Um, because his writing in the 70s really appealed to adolescence. Yeah. It was all like, I'm this reject and I'm kind of trapped in a society that doesn't get me. But it was poetic, so it seemed like this reject was cooler than the society. I was thinking about that on my way here. I was like, I did used to love Bowie so much. Yeah. Life on Mars, I would oh. lay in my bed with the lights turned off. So it sounds like a lot of like the thread that runs through stuff that you really like or that you really connected with was... Like you are not alone. Mm-hmm. You are you are not the only one who feels out of place and out of step with like everyone else who seems to have seems to understand what to do. What to do? Like, right. And it, so is that something you guys try to then like? 
Is that something you try to give to people who listen to your music? Absolutely. Especially when we first started writing songs, I saw that like she wanted to like express herself that in that kind of punk rock attitude, but she was just listening to different stuff. And the whole like Bob Saget moment was just like, all right, I know you understand it. (laughs) Like, yeah. But now it's time to let it out. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. And did you find, did you find you had any, like, was there a process of accessing that? Yeah, there was. I would see people around town and take, I would take some example, like for me, my, my current Iggy Pop that I would go watch down at Beerland, his name is Brian Rowland and he had this band called Elvis. Molly's little soldiers hiding in the corner. Marching time is over. Reality is sober. Mommy, mommy's little soldiers looking over their shoulders. Tomorrow won't be better. Minutes feel like hours, mommy. He and I are great friends now, but you know, at that time, I was this mousy, like 21 year old, and. He was this really loud, shirtless, tattooed, aggressive um, guy. And I would just kind of stand right in front of him and watch him kind of annoy him (laughs) while he was playing. Uh, He was a huge um, influence on me. We would see the OCs when they'd come to town. We saw Ty Siegel play as a one-man band. We'd make sure to be around when they were coming to town. Um, Leslie, the um, the entertainer, the the personality, Leslie, the, the famous Austin, the yeah, famous Austin, Leslie. yeah. Um, Gentle lady? Yes. She was an influence on me. Seeing her around town, um, expressing herself, just living and breathing as like this work of art. I am this person. Um, and we'd have run-ins downtown yeah. with Leslie. All the time. Um, like when she was sitting next to the big sign that was like kind of... She wasn't doing big. any protests or anything. We were just hanging out downtown doing a photo shoot, you know, and she came out of nowhere with roses yeah. and started just started hanging out with us, like picked me up. And, um, you know, I worked down on South Congress and I'd, I'd be having breakfast at the old Bolden and Leslie would walk up and just reach on my plate and start like eating beans <laughs> off my plate with her hands and talking to me like, um, if my mama could see me now, she'd be so shocked. She would just fall over. She would just have a heart attack and die, you know? Just this living, walking piece of art. I'm not like everybody else. I'm not like everybody else. And I don't want to run around like Do you feel like you covered else. Bowie enough when we were talking? Well, I feel Bowie like we... didn't end up actually being my choice. Oh, okay. What was your choice? If I was going to be just truly honest in a way that I'd even be embarrassed to be in front of Andrew, and I were to talk about the one song that got me into songwriting, understanding the translation of inner thoughts and emotions into phrases that 
cause empathy for other people. Um, That's a good way to describe songwriting, by the way. <laughs> the song I heard um, that really moved me was by Regina Spector when I was 18. Um, I had a crush on this older guy, and he wanted to go see Keen, which was a British oh, band. God. Exactly, that's what I thought. I thought, oh, God. Keen in um, in this big venue, but their opening act was Regina Spector. She was on tour with them. And was it she, just her and a piano? It was her and a keyboard, and she came out with her huge poofy hair, wearing like a blue polo shirt, and she's just this kind of nice lady. And she just sits down. And this was ten years ago, you know. So she was like in her mid twenties or early twenties, and she just starts singing. She has this striking voice that's hard to listen to, but gorgeous. And she's singing really emotional songs. And they're making me uncomfortable, but what was really more uncomfortable was the audience's reaction, because it was a lot of bros. And they start throwing cups of, you know, cups of beer and stuff at her. And they're just, like, being rude and booing her off the stage. No. So seeing that happen to somebody... Um, I think that made me really connect with the music even harder. And I walked forward and I just stood up there and I felt like I was the only person in that room. Some days aren't yours at all. They come and go as if they're someone else's days. They come and leave it behind someone else's face. And it's harsher than yours and colder than yours. It's awesome. She's... She's so poetic. She writes, her thoughts, they just spill out of her head while she's writing her songs, I'm pretty sure. Like for it her, sounds I think, like a stream of consciousness yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, it does. And I walked to the merch table and I bought everything she had, um, which was a bunch of EPs and one album. And I listened to it all summer. songs I knew them all by heart but the song um, some days it's beautiful it reminds me of John Lennon mm-hmm. and I, I, I think he's probably a huge influence on her um, but she has she has the classical training she has the poetry she has a punk rock attitude but yeah her music um, is something I would never talk about with the guys that I'm in a band with I'd get eaten alive. I'm embarrassed right now. (laughs) And this is Photograph from a giant dog's new record, Toy. If you liked the conversation I had with Andrew and Sabrina, then go ahead, 
check out the This Song archive. It's on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, we have like over 100 episodes with people like Andrew WK and Ty Siegel all talking about life-changing musical experiences. And, you know, like while you're looking through our archive, why don't you go ahead, become a This Song subscriber because November 15th, it's right around the corner. And if you subscribe to this song, then you'll get all the new episodes delivered right to you as soon as they come out. We're going to be talking to folks like Angel Olsen and Hamilton Lighthouser. So yeah, do it now. This song is a production of KUTX 98.9 in Austin, Texas. This episode was produced and edited by David Sanger and me, Elizabeth McQueen, also recorded by me. Taylor Wallace curates our Instagram account. Kelly Seal is our most excellent intern. And thanks to Deidre Gott and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. And you know what? It's true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Our handle is at this song KTX. You can like us on Facebook, and you can subscribe to this song, along with the other KTX podcasts, Austin Music Minute, Liner Notes, and Song of the Day on iTunes. Right on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. KUT's next AT Explained Live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there.